radical left has taken over the Democratic Party. Hello and welcome to Think Progressively, covering politics and all the other chaos life has to offer. This is episode 63, recorded on Friday, June 17th from Milwaukee. I'm Joe. And I'm Jason. And hopefully, when you're hearing this, it's going to be Juneteenth. If I get it edited and out on Sunday. And if not, happy belated Juneteenth. It'll be the observed Juneteenth holiday. Right on Monday. (laughs) And on today's episode, we try to answer the question, did slavery in the United States end with the 13th Amendment? But first... First, the headlines. The fact is that everything he's saying so far is simply a lie. I'm not here to call out his lies. Everybody knows he's a liar. In celebration of Pride Month, 31 white supremacists were arrested in Idaho who tried to riot at a recent Pride event. Viciously targeted by police and racially profiled. Racially profiled. (laughs) While huddled in the back of a U-Haul trailer. According to reports, an alarmed 911 caller reported the group who was dressed like a, quote, little army, and like Jason said, all stuffed in a U-Haul trailer, were found out and immediately arrested on conspiracy to cause a riot. Upon looking at the pictures you, of all these did people. Did you see these guys? I was like, that's all the same guy. That's... <laughs> okay, wait, did you see the TikToks of these guys? No, I did Oh my see god. The... They're they're like I do not have the TikToks. There are videos of them marching and like taking it very like doing marching drills, and people are just putting like their videos to different music, like staying alive and things like that. <laughs> and they look so serious and what a bunch of incels. Oh my goodness. Well, these are this is the director result of what we were talking about last week right the culture wars right-wing media gets these people so riled up and they literally believe that pride events are there to try to groom and turn children gay and they've got to do something about it yeah this is the same thing as the buffalo shooter the white supremacist shooter that took tucker carlson's white replacement theory serious enough to go and kill people this is the same exact thing who knows what would have happened had these 31 idiots not been arrested well and on top of that these are young guys these are not like super old way out of touch from you know like the doomsday prepper guy. these are all young people right and they're gonna be teaching a whole another generation of skinheads their same ideology oh and i just found it the youngest was 20 years old and the oldest was 40 they're all like millennials and er- like really early or sorry late gen x <laughs> uh he would be still a millennial if he's 40 do we go up to 40 now well that's 1982 oh good point so not my generation damn it you guys don't make our generation look bad so it was nice to see the images of all of these douchebags on their knees with their hands zip tied behind their backs waiting for police to process them and on the initial videos that i watched of this reporting when it was first coming out there were so many conspiracy theories in the comments oh no! false flag look they left all their the police let them leave their masks on that's you wouldn't do that (laughs) and then of course hours later the actual mugshots and identities of all these people came out like and they'll still the same people will not change their views that was like oh yeah they're protecting their identities because they're just working with the cops to get this propaganda out there well right and again i want to make this like very very clear these people were organized they were dressed ready to start a war you know with their whole like sovereign citizen cosplayer get up i have no idea what you want to call it call of duty setup going on and they were ready to cause some real panic they, and they, they had from, orders they had plans
lands. They came from multiple states. Yes. This was a a decent size operation. 31 people. I can't get 31 people to, to come and do we we don't even have 31 listeners. <laughs> This is yet another one of the white supremacist militia groups of which there are thousands and more every day, and they are being propped up by conservatives. Well, and if you remember our last episode, or if you listened to our last episode, we always talked about the idea of what polarization was, and whether or not you want to believe like your typical Joe Schmo is getting more polarized each and every day, which we argued last week, there is an abundance of evidence that the people who are already polarized are getting more extreme and this is actually what we're talking about radicalized they're literally getting radicalized yes that is the idea so you're having people who are either isolated sheltered typically considered outcasts i mean we we consider these people like the jordan pearson elite back in the day that's who these people are now they're listening to that rhetoric for years and years and years until they want to do something like this where they're going to actually commit domestic terrorism in this country that's really scary to me and this was not an isolated incident there's plenty of images of people walking around armed with assault rifles at pride events attempting to intimidate people right well let's do another pride month story one that i think might surprise a lot of our listeners there's an unlikely ally who knows for how long well right on fox news and this was last friday i believe fox news aired a surprisingly positive and well done segment on a trans boy and his family so what, what were your initial thoughts when you saw that video or segment? I kept waiting for the shoe to drop. You know, when's when are they going to get to the counterpoint and, you know, tell me that, well, some people say that there are only two genders. Right. I That's what I was waiting for the whole time. And I was amazed when it never came and that they kept doubling down and coming up with like more information and really well sourced studies on harm that is done by trans people that that are not accepted by their families and how it, it they can lead to suicide and self-harm well, and i loved how normal that family was and that's how they cast them right and i think what i was most surprised about i completely agree with what you're saying but for me it almost seemed like one of those like very local news type of segments where there was just really no emotion to it it's almost kind of boring in a way where kind of just like oh you know so and so down the street had a bake sale like that's kind of like the the overall like attitude it was it was very just non-partisan didn't give a rip about anything just kind of showed yeah so-and-so wants to be treated like an adult i hope you all feel the same and we're with them and no mention of their own network's constant propaganda no not at all to the contrary although i will say the family which again in the in the segment that they aired they talked about how there was misinformation being pushed by people who hate trans people and i'm like and fox news is posting this <laughs> you serious <laughs> do they, yeah do they know it's them and also well they did get the point about the family being super religious they did which is, i think is even crazier that <laughs> they and, let again, that and that's what really angered a lot of people too because well, they pulled a pete Buttigieg. <laughs> that's literally what it was they pulled a pete Buttigieg where it's like yeah i'm a really super christian too and i believe that the bible and jesus told me that i should accept my son for who he is because he's made in the image of god and people are like ah <laughs> <laughs> respond to that because we're all based on bullshit so uh let's talk about some of the people losing their mind we have two totally not motivated by any upcoming movie that they have coming (laughs) out uh we have 
From the Daily Wire, a couple of idiots. Ben Shapiro. Oh my god, Ben Shapiro's scree was insane. With, uh, I, he tweeted, like, they all did. It's it was like, a huge, huge yeah, threads. Like, they yeah. were just ranting hardcore. <laughs> but we have one, one quote from Ben. This would be absolutely despicable. <laughs> Insane lunacy, if I saw it on CNN or MSNBC, to see it on Fox News is a complete betrayal of anything remotely resembling conservatism or decency. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. You are do- you are so much better at doing impressions than I am. I, I just want to make that very clear. I cannot do impression of anybody to save my freaking life. I'm glad that you're here to do all this for me because I cannot. I don't have a Matt Walsh impression. It's it's basic white guy. <laughs> but uh, I can do I can do that. Oh, go for it. I can do the basic white guy because I'm already doing. It. I'll just speak in my regular voice. But I have to like, give like that air of like pseudo intellectualism where I just I know I'm better than everyone else. You know, like a guy who. Really doesn't have anything really crazy going on but he wants to do a podcast anyway with even though no one's really watching it or listening to it i'm gonna give that <laughs> you're gonna give it a try yeah yeah exactly all you need is a beard and glasses i think right give me a cigar too while you're at it and a craft beer well that i can do okay <laughs> he said and i quote i know for a fact that many people at fox do not approve of this and never would have agreed to air radical far left trans propaganda but fox reporter brian lanos chose to do this story and someone at fox chose to put it on the air everyone involved should be fired immediately cancel culture Which is, again, it's insane. It was such a non, like, and I, I think it was like Ben Shapiro who talks about how propagandistic it was mm-hmm. and how crazy far left it was and how they're just trying to shove this down our throats. It was such a nothing. Like, we'll we'll share the link and you should watch it because it was just yeah, like. definitely the, watch it. You never will see a nice story on Fox News and this is the closest thing you'll ever get into your entire life. And you'll watch how, like, nothing burger this story was. It was so mundane. And I purposely did not link to the actual Fox News clip because I don't <laughs> want to give them views. Right. <laughs> so you'll instead you'll get a link to the Rational National, uh, one of the better YouTube that channels good, out yeah. there, talking about it. Yeah, but um, it, it's such a nothing burger of a video, and all they did was just show that this family was a normal American family, and these people lost their collective minds and are trying to cancel Fox News now and this reporter for even airing it. And Matt Walsh literally responded to that criticism by saying, "Am I saying I'm for cancel culture? Yes, in this case, I am." Which just undermines everything that you built your entire network on. Free speech, right? Oh my god. Unless it's something I disagree with, then you should be fired immediately. You also have um, Focus on the Family in here. Yeah, from an article, it's a no one's byline is by it, so I don't know who actually wrote it. It it, is... Is it Brian Fisher? It probably sounds like Brian Fisher. It's whatever the... Whoever writes the Daily Citizen. Ugh. Uh, And it says... Well, for the... Hold on. Before you... Before we even say it, for those of you who don't know what Focus on the Family, it's literally an anti-LGBT, hardcore, hyper-Christian, I mean, there's also, like, super anti-Semitic as well, hate group. Yeah, it's... it's, This is a literal hate group. It's an organized hate group that hides behind their religion to espouse hatred. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's all they're for. And their quote is, You can now count Fox News among the major corporations happily gulping the gay pride Kool-Aid this month. 
Gulping, huh? Gulping. Gulping. Because they aired one segment that put a trans boy in his family in a positive light. And again, I, 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 Jason, I cannot stress this enough. I wouldn't even go with like positive. Like, yes, it was generally positive. You want to talk about how much hate people are beginning. It, I would even argue it's not even positive. It was just normal. They were just normal people. And it was just so, am I crazy? <laughs> I, I do think they represented the family's acceptance of their trans son yeah. as being positive sure i'm okay with it but it just it seems so normal and mundane i i can't get over it right well i mean that's the bar for everyone like that's too far i know that's the great they part. don't hate their trans kid that is literally they cannot accept it you aired a segment about a family that didn't disown their trans son i think ben shapiro said it where he was like bashing the mom for saying that she was brainwashing her kid and abusing her kid for it and it, it was just insane it was so crazy how they were trying to push their own ideologies on the kid. I'm like, they're a super Christian. What is going on? There is no foundational ideology with this, with these people. And you've talked about this before. I'm going to keep bringing it up again. You have cultural conservatives. There is no foundational ideology. With progressives, there are. With liberals, there are. Even with moderates, there are to some extent, right? But with cultural conservatives who are hardcore right wings, all they have to stand on is, I am against you because I hate you for who you are. Only thing they have is resentment of other people and when you do that as your foundation you're gonna immediately fall into logical contradictions all the time but that doesn't matter to them because all they want to do is hate people and it's dangerous it's really freaking dangerous again it was really normal watch the video it was so normal i can't get over it ah (laughs) (laughs) well thank you fox news for one decent segment one decent segment now i'm sure we're gonna hear a a friday afternoon yeah we're gonna hear a thousand more from tucker carlson about why i don't know teachers are telling kids to have sex in their bathrooms or something i don't know and we don't have a lot of time for headlines this week we have a very important very long subject coming up in our main topic but i quickly want to go there was an agreement in principle on a bipartisan gun control bill many more people fawning over the fact that it's got the word bipartisan in there more than anything that's actually in the legislation which is very weak and depends heavily on states actually passing their own legislation which won't happen which will not happen certainly in any republican controlled states and they know that so it does almost nothing the way it's written and might not even pass (laughs) even with that said what a win for democracy oh so we're not going to talk, we're not going to go through it, but figured we would at least mention it because it is news. Uh, we also had the, at least the high profile weekly mass shooting in an Alabama church where, because of course, for unknown reasons, uh, someone during like a potluck in a small group, an elderly person pulled out a gun and shot three other elderly people, killing two and injuring a third. So what's all this talk about how blue states can't get their in order? All this violence and democratic controlled states huh like alabama oklahoma (laughs) texas well again we have to say it how many doors did this church have exactly maybe we should arm all the priests was there any veterans outside the church standing guard gotta get some retired police officers to uh be ushers at the churches and we'll close out headlines today with a little bit of a longer one the recent hearings from the january 6th committee there were scheduled to be three this week we only got two they postponed the one on wednesday because they weren't able to get some video video together (laughs) in time 
I guess. Government, man. So we'll, we'll quickly summarize uh, what happened. Monday was mostly presenting evidence that Donald Trump ignored all of his advisors telling him not to declare victory and ensuring him that he lost the election. Well, and this is where Bill Barr really kind of shined through, at least in my opinion. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Bill Barr here in a second. Uh, instead of listening to all of his advisors... <laughs> He decided to listen to an apparently drunk Rudy Giuliani. I can't believe that's on the record now. Yeah, that Giuliani was wasted telling everybody that Trump won. Yep. <laughs> and he he says he's he wasn't drunk. That's the way he always is. Haven't you seen any press conference he's done in the last three years? Come on. <laughs> Which I, I, he's got a point there. I mean, he could also always be drunk. I'm not going to lie either. It's true. I would not put it past Rudy Giuliani to actually have an alcohol problem. <laughs> but so let's talk about Bill Barr. Bill Barr is on a salvage his reputation tour. Oh, he totally like. is. He is throwing Trump hard under the bus. And he's trying to make it seem like he was never a part of any of this. Nope. He was always the grown up in the room, which is just not true. No, not at all. And now don't get me wrong. I'm glad he's talking. Obviously, right? I want to sink Trump. Apparently Ivanka listens to him. So if no right. one else. Well, right. But you're right. There is plenty of context that we cannot forget when it comes to Bill Barr. And I believe it was, again, he kind of talked about how, uh, what was it? He said if he believed this after everyone told him he must be living in like outside of reality or something like that. Yet he still pushed for investigations into election fraud across the country. Until he eventually left. Yes. He literally pushed saying that there was a potential voter mail fraud. Yeah. So he was definitely not the same person that always knew this was garbage and would tell anyone who would listen no he definitely had his line and his line was only like right at the end when they were going to literally try to overthrow the election right when he knew it was either he try he throws joe biden in jail or he gets fired yep once it came to that point where he knew he was risking his own incarceration that he decided he had had enough but up till that point he was in on it yep and i think that's important to remember and let's not same thing i keep saying to liz cheney just because she's right on one issue doesn't mean we need to listen to her on anything else i agree Uh, the same thing you have to bear in mind for bill barr there was also one thing I really, really want to talk about that it's not that it was understated, but I feel like it's not getting as much attention as I think it should, was the part of the hearing about how Trump and his campaign defrauded so many of his supporters. Yeah, they definitely made that case. And it's one of the most important things to also remember about the post-January 6th Donald Trump. Yes. That all he did was use all of the anger from his supporters that he himself created by saying the election was rigged and fake and there's no way he could have possibly lost mathematically impossible i don't even know how that would happen where you could mathematically not lose an election (laughs) but it's donald trump we know somebody else was always doing his homework well did you see his emails from his campaign after the 2020 election like the whole save america emails right and he yeah and he said you know donate to the was it election investigation fund yes which then it wasn't it said like official election investigation fund which there was no such thing and instead he used the 250 million dollars that he raised to create a super PAC 
to not only pay for the campaigns of other do- or stop the steal candidates, but also literally funded the January 6th event. Yes, the rally. He paid the bills for the rally with that super PAC money. Well, and I go back to, I think it was Kimberly Guilfoyle. She spoke at that. I think she introduced Donald Trump. Yeah, four minutes and yeah. she got paid $60,000 $60, to her own father-in-law. <laughs> well, they're, she, they're not married, are they? And I, I don't even think they're together anymore. I think he's, I think she left. Well, junior. the prospective father-in-law even at that point. I <laughs> sure, mean, sounds like, good. I'll, I'll speak at your rally, but it's going to cost you 60 right. grand. $60,000. The idea that they made $250 million off of this conspiracy theory is mind-boggling to me. And again, I saw those emails and they were deranged emails. I even used them. I had to cite them in my graduate work. I The fact that they made this much money off of it after the election drives me insane. I'm and they're so still they're continuing to raise money on that yeah and it also reminds me of the whole um steve bannon thing with the build the wall mm-hmm. they're all literal liars well that's all trump ever did in they're his presidency men. yes he just used it to make money off of his own properties he's a con that, that's all it was his presidency was all about lowering taxes on himself and his friends and bilking the taxpayers for money that he put directly into his own businesses which is not you're not even supposed to have as the president no we made laws so that you couldn't do that and he just completely ignored them and we didn't do anything about it yeah it's really bad <laughs> i again i understand the idea of what cult mentalities are and cult ideologies but i just this is giving off like weird mormon vibes to me where it's just like how can you still support joseph smith with all of this knowing that he's just a conman and have documented evidence of it i now understand joseph smith killed by a lynch mob everybody just a <laughs> Just a historical fact that I throw out there. No reason. Ah. Let's talk about Thursday's hearing. Thursday's hearing. This focused on Mike Pence. It did. As advertised. It basically just kept reiterating the pressure that was put on Mike Pence by Donald Trump to not count the electoral votes and overturn the results of the presidential election. I think it was New York Times described it as verbal warfare between Donald Trump and Mike Pence. And I'm like, you mean bullying, right? He's bullying the shit out of his VP. <laughs> What he is- said he wasn't going to be his friend anymore. Well, because they literally, he called him, according to witnesses, Trump called Mike Pence a wimp, a put because he refused to overturn the election results on January 6th. It was that morning that they called him those names. His own vice president, who they worked together for four years, and reports are that they haven't spoken now in more than a year. I can see that. And Trump encouraged the crowd to go after Mike Pence. They were literally chanting, hang Mike Pence. Well, and I liked the story that the January 6th committee put together, where they're talking to the aides about this and how they're all trying to talk to each other about how they need Trump to put out something. And then literally like 10 minutes later, the aide's phone goes off because they get notifications every time Trump tweets something and how they're, what was it? They're remembering how they're like in such awe that Trump said like the worst possible thing, which was literally attacking Mike Pence, calling him a coward, saying he didn't do what was he was supposed to do when they knew, when Trump knew that people were literally storming the Capitol. And they showed video from the insurrectionists outside. That they're reading the tweet and saying pence betrayed trump get him we have to get him yes that he didn't come through for us and they were 40 feet away from him 
New footage from the January 6th committee hearing did show that they were 40 feet away from Mike Pence. Yeah, while he was being escorted to a safer location, they could have very well run into him. We came so close to either a giant bloodbath in the hallway of the Capitol building and or the vice president of the United States being lynched. Well, exactly. And that's where I think that you hear all these Republicans are talking about how, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't that big of a deal. We were so lucky and it's almost like we were we're kind of getting hurt by how lucky we were that it wasn't a major bloodbath because there were so many times where it was so close that people were i think congress people were hiding up in the rafters where they were trying to barge into right Mm -hmm. and that's where ashley babbitt got shot you saw aides running down the hall and running and shutting the door into a closet and then about 30 seconds later rioters came in down that hallway and started trying to bang that door down yeah there's video of people banging on doors and yelling and then you get testimony of people saying yeah i was in that room yeah huddled under a desk texting with five my parents saying aides. i was going to die right I, like, and they're saying like this was my last goodbye and now we know it the same thing happened to mike pence they almost killed the sitting vice president over a lie that everyone knew was a lie except for that crowd they believed it and there's still millions of people apparently in our country that believe it but all of the people in the trump administration knew it was a lie and like i said last week i think trump knows it's not true he just cannot accept it right well that kind of comes down to what the hearing was about on thursday where you're seeing a lot of people being brought out talking about how they explicitly told trump and his advisors that this was not going to work this was not going to work you lost the election there's no there there there's nothing you can do about it and that he's just ignoring everybody the whole point of this is to try to prove some kind of intent or his willful ignorance that will make it liable for him for the doj well to some extent hopefully right so on thursday they specifically talked about trump lawyer and advisor john eastman who had the idea of overturning the election via states by sending the fake electors out and having mike pence basically push the electoral college vote back to the states right where they would have the whole republican legislators then send their own representatives and we know here in wisconsin the state legislature was part of this plot and worked with these fake electors. Yes. So they brought out a couple of witnesses, former Judge Ludwig. Oh, Oh, he was terrible. I nearly died while trying to listen to his testimony. So I was listening to the opening arguments breakdown. Also, fantastic podcast. You should listen to them. They both fully agree that it was completely intentional, that the way he spoke. And he he spoke very slowly. I can't even replicate it here because of the post-processing. I do on our podcast. <laughs> if I try to leave those big gaps in between words, it would just cut it out. It's just going to automatically be taken out anyway. Right. But, but you can picture it like literally one word every three seconds. It was so bad. And I think Andrew Torres of that podcast talked about how he spent a good 30 seconds saying the word no without ever saying no. And he did his absolute best to try to not get clipped. That was kind of his whole point. Right. Because he, we, we also didn't understand Ludwig's a super hardcore conservative judge. Like he was. Ted Cruz's like mentor f- mentor and his Father favorite figure. pick right saying that when they asked you know who should be on SCOTUS and Ted Cruz and you said it should be Ludwig and everyone else like Ludwig so like supposed to be one of the greatest conservative legal minds right so he is absolutely no friend of the January 6th me and on top of that John Eastman the guy who was the 
crazy conspiracy theorist lawyer clerked for Luddig. So he probably doesn't want to see any of these people go to jail. So he's going to try to do his best not to incriminate people he probably cares about. And he was doing that on purpose to make it very difficult for anyone to take his testimony and put it on the, the news yeah. or yeah on, on a podcast or whatever. And people still did, by the way. They found a couple of clips, which good for them. But Jesus, it was so bad. I will say, though, that the reason why they brought Luddick in was because they wanted to say that Eastman came to him for advice with this crazy idea. And Luddick was very explicit, saying that there was no way this would ever work. This is not legal. This is not constitutional. It would immediately get struck down by the Supreme Court in a nine to zero hearing. Which that, I'm not so sure about personally. Well, right. Especially with Clarence Thomas right now. Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito for sure. Right. So, but still, he was put there as a witness to say that he explicitly told John Eastman that this would not work, and then to say that John Eastman agreed that it didn't work, but he continued it anyway. That was his whole point about coming to the hearing. And the other news that's kind of been getting some traction that came out of that hearing was video released a couple hours before the hearing showing Georgia Representative Barry Loudermilk leading a tour, which he had previously said that he did not do. Yep, he explicitly lied. <laughs> on January 5th to people who are taking pictures of hallways, staircases, and security checkpoints. I think the quote was, it was weird because these were not things that most tourists usually care about. And there were areas that generally, it doesn't look like the Capitol building, it was the places that lead into and out of the actual Capitol building. Right. So they're not fancy marble, you know, the actual Capitol building, which is a showy thing for tourists. This was literally like an office building. And the same person that was in that tour group seen taking photographs of odd things like stairwells was also at the Capitol riot on January 6th. Shocker. And he made a video threatening Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Jerry Nadler, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying that he was going to get them. Yep. So what do you think about this? Barry Loudermilk 100% lied. And that is the most suspicious thing. Honestly, had he come out right away and said, look, I, I gave no a tour idea. because there was this group of people. It was their first time in the Capitol. They wanted to get a tour. They said they were my constituents. I gave them a tour. I would give a tour in that situation to anybody. Well, again, I want to make this very clear. Do you know who gives tours of the Capitol? Staff. Staff, not the representatives. So unless this was a very weird thing that Barry Loudermilk does, which records show that that's not the case, he intentionally went to go talk to these people. And had he said, yeah, I I get not like at the time, I didn't think it was strange. People take pictures of weird stuff all the time. I don't question people take pictures of their food while they're eating. I would never do that personally, but it happens. So yes, at the time, I didn't think anything of it. But now, obviously, in hindsight and knowing that at least one of those people were there at the the Capitol riot. It is suspicious and it should be looked into. And I will cooperate and give whatever records that I have that might be helpful. I will testify 100%. No problem. And he didn't do that. That is not at all what he did. <laughs> and when asked why he didn't testify before the committee, he said they never asked me. Despite the fact that he got subpoenaed yep. by the committee and is not complying. Yep. And he denies receiving that subpoena. 
So it's more suspicious that he keeps lying about this. It's so weird, too. How are we on the verge of losing our democracy to such stupid people? <laughs> the worst criminals. Oh, my God. We need more action movies that have stupid criminals. <laughs> like, like, just really bad. and Yeah, like, we just, for some reason, can't. Like, there's, like, okay, like the Saw series, right? The whole point of Jigsaw was that he was so freaking genius at what he was doing. No one could ever catch him because he was, only like, five steps ahead. We need Saw, but they're just real freaking idiots but they're rich and white so they just get away with it right we need like house of cards but they're just really dumb and they just keep losing (laughs) so we just let kevin spacey write house of cards dang it (laughs) (laughs) no oh dear so why do we care about this has happened yeah it's it's in the past 18 months ago let's get over it right yeah let's just move on what what does it matter that all this happened you know nothing came out of it they didn't uh, joe biden's president they weren't able to overturn the election who cares you know republicans always told us like back in 2016 we need to stop crying after trump won no one cares about it anymore there's no crazy conspiracy happening anymore no one's crying about it anymore sick of all these people going to prison for meeting with russian intelligence yeah, operatives exactly so what are we doing here what's the whole point well here's why it is important candace taylor i'm not sure if we talked about her or not i don't think we did but she was the jesus guns and babies her slogan candidate for georgia governor she refuses to concede after receiving just three percent of the vote and coming in third in the gop primary because she was a literal crazy person calling the election rigged and pleading for those who voted for her to send her signed affidavits attesting to their vote (laughs) in a quote from her campaign spokesman christy maud who said to the daily beast we have a national data team working on the 2022 primary election fraud more will be forthcoming how much money does she have to still keep staff on at this point that's what i want to know david Perdue got like 20 percent of the vote yeah it was right some, it was something and like that kemp got 70 percent, and she got three percent yep and she's claiming that she really won yep that's why this is important because this is still going on and that's not enough for you we also have a gop commission that refuses to certify the new mexico primary which just happened yeah these are all recent this is this is still ongoing for the guns jesus and babies lady yeah new mexico's secretary of state on tuesday asked the state supreme court to order the republican-led it's it's 100 republican right commission of rural otero county to certify primary election results after it refused to do so over distrust of dominion voting machines and i want to make this very clear it wasn't that they found fraud or that they even thought fraud was happening they didn't even allege any fraud no just because dominion voting machines were used that's all it was they heard the name dominion and they freaked out and now are calling the entire thing a fraudulent election because of it the three-person commission voted unanimously against certifying the election their commission chair is coy griffin the cowboys for trump nutcase (laughs) that was featured in the four hours at the capitol documentary that we talked about in episode 57 we did a little crazy person who was at the capitol insurrection is the commission chair how is one how is he not in jail two how he is he in public he office was in jail remember he had the whole lie about <laughs> right how, the trump how, left him out to dry no it was the whole like how can you deprave a man <laughs> 
of a shower. <laughs> but he actually criticized Trump. He uh, changed the the name from Cowboys for Trump to like uh, I forgot Cowboys for Jesus freedom. or yeah, something. Yeah, it was yeah. something because he was so betrayed by Trump because Trump let him sit in jail without getting a shower. But this is where I want to go all the way back to the polarization thing again. People are getting crazier and more radicalized. This is a literal cult that is taking over the Republican Party. It has taken it has over. taken over the Republican <laughs> Party and is getting stronger and stronger by the day. And what they're doing is the people that you think are just crazy nut jobs are getting into positions of power. That's the problem. Like you said, Jason, crazy cowboy for Trump guy should be in jail, but he's not a, getting a shower. But he's a part of an election commission. Yeah, he is in charge. He is holding up this election still in New Mexico. A crazy person. I don't know how anyone could watch the video of that guy talking for two minutes and be like, yep, that's the guy I want to represent me. Doesn't sound like a lunatic at all. And in our third example of why the January 6th you're gonna make commission me, continues to be important you're gonna make today, me angry. we move back home to Wisconsin. Don't make me angry. In the GOP, it's a theme of all of these anti-democracy headlines. I don't ever. I don't ever want to. You made me angry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't ever want to hear a freaking conservative or Republican tell us about how liberals are freaking snowflakes ever again. I don't ever want to hear about how Democrats couldn't get over the 2016 election ever freaking again. We are two years past the 2020 election, and we are helping people still try to overthrow the election based on conspiracy theories. No more. I, I Because I'm still hearing that garbage. It's driving me insane. It's happening in Wisconsin as we freaking speak. And we have the GOP-appointed head of of the Wisconsin election investigation throwing a misogynistic tantrum in court last week. Michael Gableman, who is somehow a former Wisconsin State Supreme Court Justice. The guy was in the highest court in the state of Wisconsin as a judge. It's because we elect our Supreme Court Justices in Wisconsin. And his office, which is paid for by tax money. $700,000! It's probably over a million dollars at this point. Probably, because I don't know if you heard about this, we were paying for his groceries, we were paying him to literally speak at Republican County Party events. That was what we were paying taxpayer dollars for. For him to go across Wisconsin and to speak as a keynote speaker at Republican County Parties. And talk about how the election was all a fraud. While he supposed to be in charge of the investigation the guy went to freaking south dakota to see the my pillow guy talk about election fraud that's where he's getting his information from he went to arizona to speak to the cyber ninjas <laughs> cyber ninja to be fair i think there's only ever been one guy that's stupider <laughs> <laughs> and he has been repeatedly refusing to cooperate with open records requests which is causing more money because we keep suing them yes as we are talking and, about right now and robin Voss keeps putting more money into his account to deal with the lawsuits so they can keep fighting them because they don't know how to work Gmail. Ah! <laughs> You made me angry. And this is despite multiple court orders requiring them to turn over their records. Last Friday, in open court, he not only humiliated himself, not only did he humiliate the state Supreme Court, not only did he humiliate the state legislature, he humiliated the state of Wisconsin and the entire Republican Party, which at this point is very difficult to do. <laughs> he refused to answer any questions under oath pleading the fifth, and accused the judge of being biased 
towards American Oversight, which is the nonprofit organization who filed the open records request. And during court recess, on an obviously hot mic, he was told the mic was on and he kept talking. He accused the judge of using the case to gain attention and insinuated that he was favoring the female American Oversight attorney in an attempt to have sex with her. Oh my God. So on Wednesday of this week, the judge in question, Judge Remington, submitted a 25-page ruling, which we'll link to, holding the Assembly Office of Special Counsel, that's the, you know, this stupid title that we've given Michael Gableman, in contempt of court. I'll read to you the overview of this ruling that uh. we have from Slate. You, you gotta love legal, like, just verbal smackdowns. <laughs> the circus Gableman created in the courtroom was an affront to the judicial process. Gableman's demeaning conduct has discredited the profession, disrupted a court proceeding, and violated both his oath as an attorney and his duty of professional responsibility. Moreover, his sophomoric innuendo about the female attorney is a sad reminder that in 2022... Woman lawyers still have to do more than be excellent at their job. The judge also referred Gableman for appropriate disciplinary action by Wisconsin's Office of Lawyer Regulation, strongly suggesting that he should be stripped of the ability to practice law. Which he should. I don't know how he ever got it in the first place. (laughs) He also imposed a $2,000 daily fine, which we will all be paying as taxpayers of Wisconsin, on Gableman's Office of Special Counsel until it produced the required records. That's why the January 6th commission is important. This fight is ongoing. It didn't start or stop at the Capitol building on January 6th. It is a fight for democracy. Literally. And it is ongoing in every state on a continuous basis. Well, okay, and we weren't going to talk about it, but I do want to just quickly bring it up. The Fox News, Bernie Sanders, and Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham. <laughs> I couldn't remember his name. I was his name, Mopey dog um but it's droopy dog droopy dog in their debate where bernie sanders explicitly brought that there was a fight for a literal democracy right now and how dismissive lindsey graham was of the damage being done they don't care they do not care he when confronted about all the harm that's being done and the legal stupidity that's being done to overthrow democracy right now lindsey graham came back with well yeah you have extreme supporters on your side too that wanted to fund the police as if it's anywhere equivalent well, that's the problem. They do not care that this is a problem. They are going to keep relying on this because they know that's where their base is going. It's a cult and the leaders don't care where it goes as long as they get power. It's still happening. And you thought you were mad now. Let's go to our main topic. That was really a pr- productive segment, wasn't it? It's hard to get any word in with this clown. So for Juneteenth, we wanted to do something relevant to the holiday. A year ago, in our inaugural federal holiday Juneteenth episode, we talked about what Juneteenth Day means, that it is a celebration of the emancipation of African slaves in the United States. And we mentioned at the end that the story really doesn't end there when it comes to slavery in the United States, that most people would say slavery ended in 1865. That's just realistically not the case. So we're going to talk about that explicitly. We're going to talk about the 13th Amendment. What did the 13th Amendment 
Amendment do? What didn't it do? And how that shaped systemic racism all the way up till today. And I think it's important to keep in mind and to point out that what we are going to talk about is illegal to teach in Arkansas, Florida, Idaho, Iowa, New Hampshire, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. And there are also bills currently proposed to ban this subject in Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Michigan, Missouri, Montana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Texas, Utah, Washington, West Virginia, and our own state of Wisconsin. Currently, the only thing standing between us and a ban of topics on race and racism is a Democratic governor. Yeah, Tony Evers. Because this passed both the Senate and the Assembly. Correct. And it got vetoed by the governor. Yes. Otherwise, it would be law currently in the state of Wisconsin. And I was at the Capitol when they passed it. That bill is absolutely insane. So take the time, listen to what we have to say, and just ask yourself, what what about this needs to be illegal to be taught? That all of these people that talk about freedom and free speech, why do they want to legislate using the government that they hate so much to interfere with the teaching of history? Let's talk about it. So let's start with the text of the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which was such a perfect document they forgot to include this bit when they were writing it up (laughs) in the first place. They missed it 12 other times, too. (laughs) Uh, It says, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, big emphasis here, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall be duly convicted, shall exist in the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So does that sound like a complete and total ban on slavery? 100%. There's no such thing anymore. (laughs) Usually the word accept. I was told in elementary school that the 13th Amendment destroyed all bits of slavery. That's what we fought the Civil War for, because we had a northern education. (laughs) (laughs) If I lived in the South, I probably wouldn't have been taught that. The War of Northern Aggression. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, States' rights. There's no such thing as slavery anymore. It doesn't exist. It's over. We're a better country now. There's no racism in the world. I'd let you keep going but we're already an hour in. We have bootstraps galore, man. (laughs) So many bootstraps. So this amendment was ratified December 6th, 1865. End of slavery, right? No more slavery. I can keep going, man. It's a good country. (laughs) (laughs) Not built on slavery. Not built on slavery. (laughs) Or racism. Nope. Have you read the 1776 project? (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk first about convict leasing. Tell me about it. This was the legal continuation of slavery in the United States. Punishment for crime, whereof the party shall be duly convicted as long as you don't care that the entire justice system doesn't think they're real people, then I guess we can say duly convicted. Whereas slavery is 100% legal. It is a system of forced labor where slaves... I guess we're calling prisoners or convicts were, we can't say sold, we're going to say leased out to companies or landowners as workers or even used by the state itself or the government. It can be local, county, whatever, for public works, meaning slave labor or convict labor built roads, rebuilt the South, essentially, after it was destroyed in the Civil War. The state capitol building in Texas in Austin, after it burned down, was 
was rebuilt using convict labor. And also, chain gangs are a direct descendant of this practice, using slave or convict labor to build and fix roads. Obviously, both parties profited tremendously from this. Everyone except the black prisoners that were doing the work. And this was, in a lot of ways, worse than the chattel slavery replaced. Slaves were expensive. They were a luxury item. They cost, in today's money, anywhere between $20,000 to $40,000. Slaves were often kept in conditions that would at least keep them healthy and working. Were they whipped? Were they beaten? Was it an abject horror to live under that condition? Certainly. But you were generally kept alive, and at least in a condition where you could provide value to the person that purchased you. Convict leasing when you're state property was much cheaper. It only cost around $40 in today's money to lease a convict. Oh dear. Sometimes even free, depending on the relationship between the government and the leasee. As you might guess, a lot of these people were very rich and influential and a lot of times they are actually running the local government in the area. They got much better deals to lease these convicts and in some cases were not charged anything. There was thus no incentive to treat their slaves, their convicts, humanely, and there was no accountability for injury or death of a leased convict. To emphasize that point, I'd like to bring up the Sugarland 95. Which, and I'm glad you found this because I had no idea before we do this episode. Neither did I. Which is the theme of this episode because none of this is taught as part of standard history curriculum in this country. Even though this is the history of our country. In February of 2018, while clearing land for a new education center in Sugarland, Texas, named so because of the sugar plantations that were in the area, which were after sla- quote-unquote slavery was over, farmed primarily by convict labor, the bodies of 94 men and one woman, all African-American, were found in an unmarked grave. They ranged in age from 14 to 70. They were they were buried sometime between 1878 and 1911. I don't even know because no one cared enough. Right, to keep a record. And even after this was found, there is currently no historical marker or other information at the site that tells the history History of what happened there, and it is referred to as Bullhead Camp Cemetery, a name that holds no significance. Good God. There is a memorial in the now completed nearby education center, but it's not right next door. It's about a quarter of a mile away. Right. It's, it's not, a, a it's not huge on the property. Right. And you would have to go into basically a school to find this memorial. It should be there should be a goddamn museum right on the site that talks about convict leasing and the history and how terrible it is and how this should never happen again and how we should actually be doing something to repair the damage that was done. I agree. Instead, it's it never happened. We'll just not talk about it. We should also talk about the Chattahoochee Brick Company. Okay, what a name. Which is one of the most infamous users of convict labor. This was a brick manufacturer on the banks of the Chattahoochee River in Atlanta and at full capacity it produced 300,000 bricks a day literally atlanta georgia one of the larger cities in the united states was rebuilt using bricks from this company the streets and sidewalks were paved with these bricks 
footings and supports and chimneys of buildings were using these bricks. This company made a literal fortune off of convict labor. It was operated by James English. He did not start this company, but essentially became its main investor and ran the company. He is the former mayor of Atlanta, oversaw one of Atlanta's largest banks, which would lead to Wells Fargo, one of the largest banks in the United States currently. And he was also a police commissioner. So you see what we mean? Well, these are the people that are making the laws and then also benefiting from convict labor to make the equivalent of today what would be billions of dollars. Some of the investments made with the money that this company stole from its laborers went into the Coca-Cola company. Hmm. They favored leasing young boys to carry bricks from the kilns that were so hot the convict guards would not carry firearms for fear that the gun gunpowder would ignite. We have a quote from Douglas Blackman, who's the author of the book Slavery by Another Name, which covers this exact topic. It's a very groundbreaking book, highly recommend. One of the cornerstone pieces of literature on this topic. There's not a ton written, there's not a lot of records, because so little care was given to the people that we're talking about. It's very hard to find this information. But his quote on the Chattahoochee Brick Company was, this is not just a factory where people People were treated badly. It's a place where people were worked to death and buried in unmarked graves. And that's the type of work that we're talking about. It's more brutal than the slavery that we think of, the southern plantation slave master. It was somehow we made it even worse after ending slavery. Right, exactly. You might be asking yourself, if you're a horrible person, well, what's the big deal? These people were convicted criminals. It's better than letting them watch cable and (laughs) get fed three times times a day in some comfy jail cell, why not put them to work? That would take us to black codes and so-called pig laws. So what are those? Well, you have to remember the post-Civil War South, their economy was collapsing. Okay. Not only did you have all of the damage from the war and the death that that entailed, you also have a major labor shortage after slavery. Because they lost all their workers. Kids just don't want to work these days. The southern state immediately after the end of the Civil War passed incredibly restrictive and punitive laws targeting freed slaves and ensuring the availability of cheap black labor, which they had enjoyed for hundreds of years at that point. Some of the examples where you had to get permission from previous employers before taking a new job. Can you imagine that? What? You have to go to your old boss. Can I leave to get you his to go permission? Else? And you had to have written permission. Oh my God. And it was also illegal for any employer to offer a job with a higher wage to a black laborer who was already under contract. That's literally what capitalism is. And that was done too artificially to legislate low wages for black, black workers. workers. Yep. Ensuring that cheap supply of labor. So I want to make this very clear. The free market South intentionally use big government to cap wages based on race. Correct. But you got to remember, this is the Democrats, (laughs) right? (sighs) 
Because we just ignore what the actual policies of the parties are. We sure. just focus on their names only, nothing else. Right, exactly. So this is Black Codes. Okay. It's a direct descendant of the Slave Codes, which were in place to make sure that slaves were continuously beaten and subjugated. It's the same thing, you know, make sure they can't own anything, make sure they can't vote. Right. Can't talk to a white woman, anything like that. So it was basically they just took those same laws that they had in place and just restructured them right instead of slaves it was now freedmen yes there was a brief reprieve in 1866 with the passage of the civil rights act which was vetoed by president andrew johnson and his veto had to be overridden by congress Mm. which also marked the beginning of the period of reconstruction eventually support for reconstruction waned the south never accepted it they always pushed against it and they had to constantly be reprimanded by the freedmen bureau which was in place to make sure they didn't abuse the freed slaves and in some states the freedmen bureau was very ineffective and again the whole idea of states rights trump the federal government you had situations where some states the conditions were much worse than others and obviously the further south you went generally the worse it was for the freed slaves. But basically in 1877, Reconstruction failed due to Supreme Court rulings, the power of the federal government to oversee the South evaporated, and there was a huge pushback basically back to white supremacy, back to the disenfranchisement and subjugation of the freed slaves. This was done via the removal of black men from political offices, and the southern states again enacted a series of laws intended to control the lives of African Americans. This would be the Jim Crow era. There were harsh contract laws penalizing anyone who attempted to leave a job before an advance had been worked off. The so-called pig laws, which were, I forgot the state, sorry I didn't write it down, but it was basically a law enacted that made it grand larceny to steal anything worth more than $10. Generally, stealing pigs. That's why it's called pig laws. They unfairly penalized poor African Americans. It was Mississippi. Okay. Mississippi was the state. Shocker, right? (laughs) So basically, poor African-Americans were just unfairly and very harshly penalized for crimes such as stealing farm animals. One of the worst things was the vagrancy statutes, which made it a crime to be unemployed or to be, quote unquote, and this is literally in United States law, idle. Those who are considered to be idle could be arrested and fined and jailed. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. Many misdemeanors or trivial offenses were treated as felonies with harsh sentences and fines. This 100% explains the nature of the current U.S. justice system as it's wholly punitive. It's not any attempt at rehabilitation anywhere in our legal system. It's overly incarcerative and in that is unique in the first world. That We are the only first world country that has a justice system that is so focused on punitive, on punishing people on ruining lives and does nothing to try to benefit society. That's not what it's there for. 
Now you have something in here in parentheses. <laughs> Me just saying that. If you heard this in a classroom in any of those states that we said at the beginning, this is a tenant of critical race theory. You are now going to jail. <laughs> I mean, but this was the basis of critical race theory, though. The whole idea that our justice system was designed to keep black and brown Americans impoverished and constantly in prisons. And that understanding leads you to a bigger and better understanding of how our system works today. That knowing that the basis of it is intended to incarcerate African Americans can help explain why there are so many African Americans still incarcerated today. That idea is the fundamental principle of critical race theory. Correct. I have a couple examples here. The Florida vagrancy law allowed for punishments of up to one year of labor, and children whose parents were convicted of vagrancy could be sold out as apprentices. Most offenses carried fines that, if not paid, resulted in forced labor until it was deemed that the debt was worked off. This is referred to as peonage. This was also technically illegal after the Anti-Peonage Act of 1867, which was passed specifically to address abuse of freed slaves using peonage. (laughs) But cases were rarely tried until the early 20th century when there was actually some political willpower behind trying these cases. It also does not go well. We'll get there. Fighting any charges would accrue more court fees that would need to be paid or worked off when you were eventually, and you would eventually, be found guilty. This is actually where we get the idea of plea bargaining, which was known at the time as confessing judgment. And that is where an accused agrees to plead guilty to a lesser crime in exchange for the more serious charges being dropped. You also have to remember that it was illegal to learn how to read as a slave, so most of the time they had no idea what they are agreeing to and most of these charges were just made up anyway much like today this was so successful and so widely utilized that by the end of the 1870s this makes me so angry 95 percent of the prison population of southern states were black 95 percent 95 percent previously it was very rare to incarcerate a slave because why would you their property you just give them back to their owner you don't put them in jail so you went from very minimal slave population during the civil war till five years later 95 percent of the prison population was black just to fuel this convict labor system and people wonder why there's systemic inequity we've never that's never changed the majority of prisoners being black has never changed no since the 1870s and what's even scarier is then you'll get into rationalizations of it so you probably heard of the 1350 argument things like that which is an argument that's done by racists and stupid people all the time that basically claim that well it, you may have heard like your even drunk uncle say well you know if, if there's only like 12 or 13 percent of the population why are they making 50 percent of the crime you have to understand this is it. <laughs> the entire justice system was designed to do it. That's the point. Working as intended. So this whole thing about how, and actually you'll hear on debates all the time, and I, I think this is a great way of looking at it. If you are going to look at crime rates and the mass incarceration of black and brown Americans, you have to look at it as one of either two ways. Either something is happening internally or externally. Are they internally, aka is there something genetically going on with them, which will lead you to 
a very, very dark and super racist area? Or B, is there something externally happening, which is exactly what we're seeing throughout all of history, where our systems were intentionally designed to put these people in prisons at systemic or systematic levels? And just to give you an example, more white people admit to recreational drug use than black people as a percentage, but yet a much higher percentage of those in jail for using recreational drugs are black. Yep. And that's because you go to an average white neighborhood, you will not have cops patrolling looking for people using recreational drugs to throw in jail. But in the average black neighborhood, you do. Well, again, and you can always work it back. Well, why are we over-policing predominantly black and brown communities? This is an argument that Ben Shapiro still makes today. He says the solution to these high crime rates in black and brown neighborhoods is to bring in more police into these communities. In fact, I actually saw... Um, it's an argument that Joe Biden makes Well, that today. too. Rebecca Clayfish, Republican candidate for governor. I just saw an ad for her today that says that she's going to put more police into high crime areas. That's explicitly what was said in her TV ad. So let's ask, why is there more policing in those areas? Well, because there's more violent crime and more crime in general in those areas. Okay, why is there more general crime in those areas? Well, probably because there's more poverty in those areas. Well, why is there more poverty in those areas? Well, probably because there's less infrastructure and less family structure in those areas. Why is there less family structure in those areas? It's because the vast majority of those people in those communities, which we'll talk about later, is going to prison. Well, why are those people all going to prison? It's because our systems were designed over a century, almost a millennium, it's not a century, to put these black and brown people in these buildings. That was the whole point. Well, and another answer for why are they in poverty, why is there higher poverty rates in these neighborhoods? Because for hundreds of years, we stole their labor and took any chance they had of making any kind of living. Yes. So if you're the average black family in anywhere between the end of the Civil War at 1865 up until, and I'm going to spoil it, up until the 1940s, chances are your husband, your father, your brother is going to be sold into slavery and you are left to fend for yourself as not only a woman, but a despised minority in the South or even in the North, uh, let's be honest, what kind of job are you going to get? Well, let's go back to those two black coats that you were talking about, right? That you had to get permission to go to a new job and that it was illegal for an employer to offer someone who is black a higher wage. They were designed to keep them in poverty. That was the point. And it made sure you couldn't pay fines. Yes, literally. So yes, it's the system is designed to ensure that the white landowners stayed in power and that the black workers stayed as slaves. That's always the way the system has worked. It did not stop after the Civil War. When did it technically in a way stop or at least get better? Tell me. That would bring us to Circular 3591. As I said, in the beginning of the 19th century, Teddy Roosevelt's presidency, 1908 thereabouts, there was some desire to stop what everyone knew was still slavery in the South. And they started prosecuting some of these cases because, again, peonage, making someone a slave to work off debt, was illegal. They investigated a lot of these cases in 
a lot of cases, it was found that the debt that the person owed was completely made up. Oh, great. But because of that, it no longer fell in peonage. They're not working off a debt. There's no debt. They were just voluntary. They're just slaves. Oh, my God. <laughs> Slavery is not illegal if you're convicted of a crime. Well, they were convicted of a crime. It didn't matter that the person convicting them was a justice of the peace that also worked for the person that the slave was working for, his owner. Ugh. That didn't matter. And one of the only people that was actually convicted, so-called father of peonage, John Pace, who only got five years in prison, by the way, and he was basically found guilty of having a gigantic human trafficking ring that involved police and these justices of the peace. He was given a five-year sentence. And not only that, he was pardoned by Teddy Roosevelt. Ugh. Oh my god. I hate all of this. I, I hate all of this, man. So most of those cases were thrown out, and they weren't even tried. So slavery in the South continued. And it wasn't until around the 1920s when a lot of this started to fall apart because of the Great Depression, and there was less desire for this type of labor in the first place, because no one had any jobs, that these convict leasing programs were stopped in a lot of southern states. But the practice officially continued until some Something happened in 1941. So December 12th, 1941, that would be five days after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Wonder why they were motivated to do something five days after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. You do also have to remember there was a lot of propaganda coming out of Japan and Germany and Italy targeted at the United States about how we're not really a free country. We say we are, but we enslave millions of people. Could be that they were somehow motivated to put an end of that after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Hard to have someone enlist to fight for your country if they're a slave. So this circular 3591 changed the way the Justice Department classified cases involving involuntary servitude. Like I said, previously they would only prosecute cases involving peonage or debt. This circular instructed U.S. attorneys to ignore the element of debt and instead focus solely on the condition of involuntary servitude or slavery. So they would basically prosecute any case that involved someone being held as a slave. And they would actually prosecute it, and they would actually convict people, and they would actually get long sentences, unlike everything that had come before. And this brings us to Alfred Irving. The Justice Department prosecuted A.L. Skrobarsik and his daughter Susie, who were charged with enslaving Alfred Irving on their farm in Beeville, Texas, on October 2nd, 1915. And Alfred Irving is generally considered to be the last slave freed in the United States in 1942. So did slavery end with the 13th Amendment in 1865? Obviously not. No, it didn't really end, at least objectively, for 80 years after that. Joe Biden was born two months after Alfred Irving was freed. So because we're running so long... There's apparently a lot of racist history (laughs) to get through. Oh my god. And we have a lot left to go, and we don't want to cut it short because it's too important of a topic. Something that none of us learned enough of in any of our schooling. So we will end today's show here with what could objectively somewhat be called the end of 
of slavery in the United States, at least as that definition that we just went through where you are being owned by a person. And next week, we'll go into the modern day and talk about what were the ramifications of this system to today and give that side of it a little bit more time that it needs. And we'll see you next week then. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you in the next episode. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at ThinkProPod. You can email us at ThinkProPod at gmail.com. And remember, when in doubt, think progressively. Are we doing a bit? Are we just talking about it? I, no, I, we're not. Like, I'm not. This isn't going anywhere. Oh, I was starting to the bit. Oh, okay. Well, never Sorry. mind. My bit was so terrible. You just. <laughs> I thought you were just you talking to me. immediately assumed that this was not a bit because it was so bad. All right, fine. <laughs> we'll try again.